This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad, mate. How are things with yourself? Yes, good, thank you. Um, drowning my sorrows in a bad day for Wednesday and for Grimsby with uh, a bucket load of very tasty championship action that we're going to talk about for the next hour or so. No draws, so we've got 11 games to sink our teeth into and lots to unpack uh, on a busy podcast this week. As always, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast through your preferred platform on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you will find us there. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to start this weekend's podcast at the Car Leasing Stadium where Reading and Huddersfield Town played out a seven-goal thriller, which was not one for the Italian purists building their, you know, giving their, their mantra of defend first because the defending in this game was abysmal. But it made for a very entertaining spectacle and a seven-goal thriller, six of which came in the first half. Pretty mental game. Um, Reading, obviously, welcome back Lucas Joao from the start. He was on as a sub in midweek against Luton, where they lost 2-0. And then uh, got got the opening goal, which was good to see him back and playing. But then just awful defending throughout. Luke Southwood with a very untypical error. But, you know, he's a, he, he catches it, drops it. Ward obviously taps it in and then he's appealing for a foul. There's no one near him. I don't know how, how he thought he was going to get a foul for that. It, he's been very good this season, Luke Southwood, but... The errors have started to creep in a little bit. There was a few. There was one against Hull back in December, I think it was now, um, which he should have saved Malik Wilkes' goal. And there's been a couple creeping into his game now. But he's not the only problem. And Redding are in 3-4, really, having lost, obviously, late last week against Borough. 2-0 home defeat against Luton, in which they didn't lay a glove on um, the Hatters. And then, of course, conceding another three goals and losing at home to Huddersfield. Just awful defensively. Nobody's conceded more than them in the league this season. They've conceded 51 times. Peterborough, the same amount. Um, and at home, they've conceded 31 goals in 15 games. Obviously, over over an average of two goals a game. I defended Paunovic last week, but after another two home defeats and you know pretty poor defending throughout, another five goals shipped... It's getting a little bit hard to defend the run they're on, and it does look like they may they are going to have to make a change. I think if they're going to just breathe some new life into the club and sort of just get a, a reaction, which you do get when you you make a change in management, unless you're Barnsley, of course, in which case you just continue to lose. But the the numbers are awful for Reading, and there's no defending that this far into the season, despite the the injuries that they have had. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's. It, for me, it's reached a point now where Velko Panovic has reached the end of the road. I, I don't think there is any way back for him now. It's, it's just been too many sorry and disappointing defeats and the fact that they've they've scored three goals at home on Saturday and lost, still lost. It kind of paints a picture of just how bad things have got for Reading at this moment in time. I mean, they've lost four championship games in a row now. It's one win in 11 in League and Cup. I think it's something like two league wins now in something like the last 15 league games. The 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 rut has seriously gone beyond setting in now. It's got to the point where it can't possibly get any worse, but it continues to do so. So for me, I think, I know we said last week, didn't we, about how 
from the outside looking in, it looked as though maybe they shouldn't be maybe too hasty and should stick by them a little longer. But I think now a point has been reached where a change has got to be made because the fans, understandably, at any club, they wouldn't put up with a run of form like this. And of course, the players want to take their share of the blame at the end of the day. Individual errors set in yes, uh, yesterday with the the, uh, the some of the goals that they conceded in the first half. But the book stops with the manager. It's as simple as that. And at the moment, he's not getting a tune out of his players to remotely even look like getting a point, never mind all three. I mean, it's now uh, seven league games without a victory since that 3-2 when it swans on the 27th of November. It's now the 23rd of January as we record. So they've won two months without a league win. Yikes. And when you've got statistics like that, and like you've said, 51 goals conceded already this season, and let's not forget the 7-0 defeat to Fulham a couple of weeks ago as well, it, it does show that, for me, Paunovic has, has got to go. I think the time has come. Did a terrific job last year, massively overachieved last year, I thought, with, with, with what he had available to him. Could you say he's been a victim of his own success? Possibly, but I think when you're on a run like this, it's impossible to, to make that that statement stand up and like I say, five defeats in six, four defeats in a row, conceding goals left, right and centre. It's it's really, really bad for Reading. They've not kept a clean sheet now since the 16th of October. And with all due respect, that was against Barnsley, who we know have been terrible all season long. So it it gives a clear indication of where Reading are at at the minute. And like you say, with the, the goals that they're leaking, they're three points above the bottom three. And at the minute, Aside from the run Derby have been on, it's the sides that are beneath them being even worse that are, that are keeping them out of danger for now. But with three points the gap, Peterborough two games in hand on them. Obviously, they've got to win them. They could be very, very quickly sucked right into the thick of this. Yeah, absolutely. For, from a Huddersfield perspective, though, um, another good win on the road. I think that's nine unbeaten for them now. I think the last time Huddersfield lost was the last time Reading won. So <laughs> that's quite a, a weird quirk of the, the fixture list. But yeah, they're doing really well. Again, hat-trick for Danny Ward, of course. A couple of them smart finishes, albeit tap-ins. Um, but the third one for his hat-trick, and you know, an absolute stunner. Really good piece of quality. Into the top six now, Huddersfield. And we keep writing them off in terms of top six. I don't even think Huddersfield fans believe they're going to finish in the top six. Neither of us do, but they are overachieving by some distance. And it's great to see them scoring goals again, which was the big difference. Danny Ward has come back a different player. And I've always liked Danny Ward, I have to say, but I'd lost confidence that he was ever going to get back to some sort of full sharpness because he just kept getting injured. And he's someone that needs that match rhythm. But now we're seeing it this season. He can't be off far off double figures now for the season. Um, and I don't think if you'd asked me hand on heart at the start of the season, I don't think any Huddersfield ta- town forward would have got double figures this season, apart from maybe Josh Caroma, who's barely played really in the grand scheme of things. Daniel Sanani, I think, has been an excellent signing as well. He's doing really well still on loan from Norwich City. Stoke City 2, Fulham 3. This this was just a big game of goal of the season contender. And for me, the winners, uh, definitely Rodrigo Munez, who... Absolute scorcher just minutes after DiMaggio Wright-Phillips had got his first goal for Stoke. Great clip on Quest of Ian Wright watching that back. and I expected there to be like a massive celebration from Ian Wright, but he was just like, yeah, he scores goals and shouldn't do backflips. That, that was pretty much his his, his um, reaction to the goal. Um, but Munez with, a, with an absolute scorcher to make it one all, And um, yeah, I thought that the, the defending for some of the other goals were pretty poor from a Stoke point of view. Um, Carvalho tucking one in at the at the back post as well. 
And then the they get it back to two all, and then Jack Bonfam, just awful goalkeeping, comes completely gets nowhere near the corner, and then just sort of ambles back in as well. You, there's not like a sheer panic to get back on his goal line because I think there's enough time for when that gets you know cleared out to Decord over for him to be back in his goal. But not only does he miss the cross, he's then really slow to get back in his goal. And it's a really good finish, of course, from Decord over who, you know, half volleys it into the back of the net. But Fulham are frightening at the minute. I think they're eight points clear now at the top of the Championship table in terms of second. Um, and even without Mitrovic, it's worth noting, of course, at the weekend, the net three on the road. 73 goals scored in 27 games this season. An average of 2.7 per game. That is silly. Um, and if they can, you know, cut out the defensive mistakes and the silly draws that they were picking up, they'll they'll walk the title. I, I genuinely thought Bournemouth were the stronger team in the first half of the season, but Bournemouth are hitting a real sticky patch, which we're going to come on to. And Fulham are just just they're not even absolutely dominating everyone. They're just scoring more goals than everyone else by a distance, and that's going to be enough to get them promoted. It's actually becoming ridiculous, isn't it? Since we last spoke, obviously they've had the but another 6-2 win against Birmingham midweek, then the 3-2 win at Stoke, which you've just spoken about there. It's just a case now where I think Fulham are going to be very, very hard to catch. They've opened up an eight-point gap, which seem, seems to have been in next to no time. It seems to have come about very quickly where themselves, Bournemouth and Blackburn, were really clunched together. And all of a sudden, Fulham have just broke free from that pack and off they go into the sunset, it seems. But, I mean, you look at it now. I'm just looking at the league team in front of me now. 73 goals in 27 games. Their nearest rivals in that regard are Blackburn. 29 goals behind them. <laughs> Jesus. That's a decent effort. 44 for Blackburn so far in the same amount of games, but 73. It is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? And like you say, they were without Alexander Mitrovic at the weekend. They were without Harry Wilson as well, who've been their two most creative influxes in the final third, but it shows the strength in depth that uh, Marco Silva's got, that the, the likes of Munez, Carvalho, Decadova, Reed all stepped up and delivered when those two were missing. So it proves the quality he's got in, in, in bulk in the final third. But like you say, the ability they've got just to blow teams away is, is quite staggering. One minor, minor negative, even though it's incredibly hard to criticise full of the minute, I do think they need to shore up defensively a little bit. It's three games now without a clean, uh, three games without a clean sheet, and just one clean sheet now. I think in eight league games, which is a little bit concerning for a team that's going for the title. But when you're scoring goals at the ratio they are, you you can't be too critical. There's no doubt about it. But like you said, they've they've gone to Stoke, scored three terrific goals, and got the job done. Quite narrow in comparison to what they've been used to in recent recent weeks, but they got the job done, and that's the main thing. They march on. And they'll be continuing to to fly high and looking to kick on. And with the way they're scoring goals at the minute, it certainly could be interesting that FA Cup tie of Manchester City next month. Yeah, I think that that'll be a good gauge of where they're at potentially. Um, albeit, I don't. I think City they might, might concede. Yeah, City might score. They might score eight. Yeah, it might be ten six or something like that. In terms of Stoke, they're now six points off the top six. Need to start getting some results. Um, they've been under probably the stickiest patch of, Mar- of Michael O'Neill's tenure so far. And everyone's behind him from a Stoke point of view. I think we're behind him, certainly, as, as neutrals. We we like him and what he's done. But they are going to have to start getting results. And I think it's not an unfair expectation they should be closer to the playoffs than they currently are. And especially when you look at how strong Borough, 
Forest are at the minute in terms of um, their form, Huddersfield and the teams that are already in the top six. It's hard to see them finishing above any of those teams at the moment. They haven't won at home since November the 20th, which is the biggest concern. And defensively, they are leaking goals. And it felt at the start of the season like they got a really settled back three of Ostergaard, um, Sutar and Ben Wilmot. And that, that's just been completely ripped up. Sutar, of course, is injured. Ostergaard's gone back to Brighton and on loan again to Italy. And Wilmot's seemingly not played. They've got a completely new back three of Chester, Jagielka and Harwood Bellis, which I'm not sure is stronger, in my opinion. I, in fact, I don't think that's stronger. Um, certainly not from a balanced perspective. I'm not sure I'd want James Chester and Jaggy Elker in the same back three. But they need to start picking up some results at the moment and, and you do worry that they could just get cut adrift of the top six. And we saw last season as well, they had a really strong first half of the season. They got Tyrese Campbell's injury, which we kind of put down to the, the drop-off in the second half of the season. You know, they've still got Nick Powell to come back. Suter, of course, is a big loss. But the defensive numbers aren't that different since Suter got injured, actually. So I don't think there would be that same level of, not excuse, but mitigating factor if they were to have a similar drop-off this season, in my opinion. So that's a little bit of a concern for Stoke. Bournemouth nil, Hull City won. Um, massive week for, for Hull City and the Tigers. Takeover complete. Turkish owner in. Back-to-back wins. And they beat Blackburn, of course, in midweek as well. Lovely goal from Ryan Longman to win it. And he's been really good. Converted into a left wing back by Grant McCann. We d- he deserves some credit for that. You know, he was on loan in League One last season playing up front. I think it was for Accrington. Maybe not Accrington, but he was up front in League One for a mid-table side. And then he's been turned into this wing back that can score goals, but is also equally as adept defensively. Really nice goal to win it. Tenacious play from George Honeyman to win the ball back in the build-up. And... You know, the week beyond their wildest dreams. And I have to say, I gave Hull a little bit of stick last week. I didn't see six points, no goals conceded, and three goals scored, and six points picked up from Blackburn at home and Bournemouth away in the slightest. And if they can just produce a little bit more consistency of this form, they clearly have the capabilities of being a championship team. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a week to remember, really, hasn't it? For Hull City, both on and off the pitch with the takeover finally, finally getting over the line and things like that sorted. And the Alamir era finally over for Hull City supporters. But like you say, on the pitch, they have demonstrated at times this season that they are capable of competing. I mean, one that does spring to mind is when they narrowly lost 2-1 to Nottingham Forest a few months ago. They were right in that game and then they got done by a penalty that wasn't a penalty and they lost 2-1. So it proves that they've got the, the capabilities within that squad to to compete and, and for me, survive. I mean, they're now 10 points clear. It's been a huge couple of results for them. I mean, who would have seen that coming? That is just the championship all over, isn't it? To have ended Blackburn, 10-game unbeaten run, won at Bournemouth, which I'll be honest with you, I did actually back at the weekend. I had a slight sneaky suspicion. Unfortunately, the other part of my act didn't come in, I'm afraid. Actually, £5 free on Derby to win and Hull to win at Bournemouth. Never mind, got half of it right. But no, I think they've done a terrific job. And like you say, to have kept back-to-back clean sheets in those games as well, that is potentially even more impressive than the fact that they got the six points because we know how how good Blackburn have been in front of goal in recent months. Bournemouth are obviously a, a very well-drilled side at home in particular. But they've got to kick on now. And all of a sudden, Hull City are four points behind Millwall in 14th. That That's how quickly things can change. They've soon climbed the ladder. So... For me now, it's going to be interesting to see if they, they do any business in the, the latter stage of the window. There's a week to go. 
I'm sure Grant McCann is going to be knocking on the new owner's door to say, give me a chance to get a few bodies in. Do you think in. Grant McCann will stay? I think he'll get until the end of the season at the very least. I don't think there's any reason to change anything at this moment in time. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know much about the new guy that's come in. I don't know what his, what his plans are going to be, if he's going to be a kind of a hire and fire quickly or going to be a long-term strategic guy or whatever. But I think Grant McCann has, de- has deserved the chance to give it a go till the end of the season. I think takeover happens or not, Hull City's primary objective this season was to stay in the Championship. There's no doubt about that. And at the minute even though things can change quickly with a 10-point cushion, they've got a very good chance. And I think when you compare them to, say, Peter, who they got promoted with, I think Hull are streets ahead of them in quality, in terms of the defensive capabilities, obviously, with the stats proving that. So I think Grant McCann's deserving of an opportunity to try and prove himself to the new to the new ownership and kick on and see what he can do between now and the end of the season. But I think they need one or two more bodies. I'd like to see him strengthen at the top end of the pitch. I think they need somebody else that can put the ball in the back of the net a bit more regularly. But in Ryan Longman at the minute, they've got somebody stepping up from an unlikely position and he's delivering the goods. George Honeyman is continuing to go from strength to strength. So don't want to get too carried away with Hull, but it's been a been a terrific few days for them. Yeah, I agree. Top end of the pitch is definitely the area that needs strengthening, especially after Josh McGuinness left to join Wigan. Earlier this month, um, Bournemouth created 1.39 xG, but I didn't think they looked overly threatening. Obviously, Solanke had a good chance, which he probably should have scored with a header. Um, but apart from that, they've not, they didn't really create many clear cut opportunities. And I'm not sure. I think it's the pace of which they're passing the ball, maybe Bournemouth and teams are getting a little bit more joy in, in playing a low block. Then maybe that's the issue. And it's back to back defeats now for Scott Parker's men, of course. And it leaves them level on points with Blackburn. The race for second place is wide open with those two both on uh, 49 points. I think QPR just behind on 47 with a game in hand. So it's wide open there. And Bournemouth have really got to string some results together. When you look where they were at the start of the season, it's it's been an extended period of, of poor form. We, we saw them come back into a bit of form with the wins against Cardiff. And there was a couple of wins in that, that spell. Uh, but, QPR away was yeah the, the QPR one, but, but they're starting to lose games at home yeah, as well and, and getting frustrated by opposition players. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the stats now. I mean, obviously we were all waxing lyrical about the unbeaten start they had between the start of the season and, and Halloween. They've now only won three of their last twelve and lost half of that run. So it, it is concerning for a side that's got ambitions to get promoted. And I mean, with respect to to Hull and Luton. You would have expected Bournemouth to have won those two games as a promotion candidate, but it is what it is. But for me, I think the fact that they've only kept as well three clean sheets in 12 games, that's a major concern for how solid they were defensively at the start of the season. So I did say that they were going to have a little bit of a, a rumble and a bit of a tough tough spell, but wasn't quite anticipated to be as uh, difficult as this. So if I was Scott Parker, I would be, I'd be quite concerned. I don't think it's reached the point where promotion's over and they're going to lose massive ground in the race for the top two, but they, they need to find a way to string some results together and, and pretty quickly just to ease some of the pressure. Yep, I agree. Coventry 1, QPR 2. Such a good job Mark Warburton's doing there. Three wins in a row for the R's without key men. Here's a stat for you. Chris Willock's been involved in every goal apart from one since uh, Elias Chair went to the African Cup of Nations. Talk about stepping up. Talk about taking responsibility and growing from strength to strength. And I actually think the formation they've gone to, because they obviously usually play Chair and Willock as dual tens behind one striker, I actually think playing one number 10 
behind two strikers actually gets the best out of their forwards. And I think we've seen that with Andre Gray. He's scoring a few more goals. Charlie Austin last week. Um, and that's gone off the boil a little bit in recent weeks. But I do think that having one number 10, perhaps, and having two strikers actually gets the best out of their forwards. But Chair's such a good player. How You've got to get him in the team somewhere. And that's the only place you really can get him in. But Willock's been phenomenal. And he's just got a little bit of everything. Obviously, he can play more as a winger, but... I've been really impressed in these last few weeks playing as a number 10 in that those central areas. He's just got the freedom to drift all around the pitch. And the job that Mark Warburton's done is phenomenal. I know we've spoken about it so often, but the consistency of results they've had over the last 12 months has been phenomenal. No team, I think, in the Championship has taken more points than them of those that have played. Um, obviously, the teams that got promoted last year skews it, but of the teams that have played consistently in the Championship, the, the eight, 18 teams, they've got the most points. And to say they stripped everything back and they've not spent any money. Yes, they have spent a little bit on some wages in the fact they've brought Andre Gray on loan, for example. Um, but otherwise, it's been promoting you from bringing players in, you know, picking up really good signings like um, Rob Dickey at centre-half. You know, the midfield, Dozel's been really good in recent weeks as well. Um, and Albert Adoma at right wing-back, he's been a revelation. His numbers are fantastic as well, if you look at his underlying data. And of course, he got the winner here with his late goal and um, they're two points off second now with a game in hand. So QPR, in terms of points per game, are second best in the championship. Yeah, absolutely. They've been remarkable, really, when you think about it across the last year or so. I mean, most of this season, certainly the last few months, we've been we've been heavily dominant and talking about Blackburn Rovers as being kind of the surprise package that's been pushing for the top two and what remarkable things Tony Mowbray's done there. But, when you look at what QPR have done, it's it's just as good. The fact that they're now two points off the off the top two, they seem to have snuck up there incredibly quickly and out of nowhere. It must be said, but you've raised a good point there about what you said about the consistency and results. QPR have not been outside of the top ten since the twenty eighth of September. They've been up there all season long. And prior to that, when they had a little wobble, they'd been in second, they'd been in third a couple of times. They've been knocking on the door consistently this season. So realistically, it should not come as any great surprise, this form that they've been on. So I think you've got to give huge credit to Mark Wolverton. It's four league wins in a row now. Three of them have been away from home. I think they've won four of the last five in the Championship now away from home. They've won five in a row in League and Cup. They're, they're flying at the minute. There's no other way about it. They're absolutely flying. And they've got back-to-back home games to come at home to Swansea and Reading. That is a golden opportunity to get another six points on the board. That is an absolute golden opportunity to really lay down a marker and and announce themselves as, look, lads, we're here to stay. We're, we're not here for the, the making the numbers up. We're here to compete. And I think when you've got players like Andre Gray at the top end of the pitch, who I'm a big fan of, I, I always loved him when he was at Burnley. Um, Adoma, yeah, he's getting on in his years now, but he's still got it. He's proven it. He is playing a big role in what um, Mark Warburton is trying to achieve. Chris Willock, as you say, has been outstanding. He's been an absolute revelation this season. So there's just so many good parts to QPR's philosophy all over the pitch. And another thing as well, I think they've now won seven of their last nine in the league. It just proves just how solid and consistent they are. So... When you look at it, I think QPR, like Blackburn, like Huddersfield, have got to be considered as your big surprise candidates this season. And when you think about QPR, obviously, they lost 
Eberechi Eze, not that long ago, really. They lost Brighter Say Samuel. We were always saying, weren't we, about where was the creativity going to come from? We predicted them but, to go down at the start of last season. I know we did. And I still don't like, think that was ridiculous. Players have stepped up significantly and that all stops with the manager. And I know you're a big fan of Mark Warburton. You always have been. And for me, this season, he's another candidate in what is, in my opinion, becoming a very close battle for who could potentially win championship manager of the season. I think there's so many candidates for a variety of reasons this year. And Warburton is certainly amongst them. So hats off to him, hats off to QPR. They're playing some terrific stuff and they're on an amazing run at the minute. Absolutely. Um, Only the fourth team to win at Coventry as well this season. So no great shakes to go and and win at, uh, at Coventry as well. Great goal from Shipley for Coventry to pull one back briefly uh, to make it one all before Adoma got the winner as well. Coventry doing well at the minute. You know, it was it wasn't a bad performance by any means against a very good QPR side. And having beaten Peterborough big last weekend, they're going well and comfortably in the top ten, which would be an amazing finish for them. A couple of derbies now, really tasty derbies, in fact, that I want to get into. Bristol City three, Cardiff City two, first and foremost, and. I definitely feel like Antoine Semenyo is coming into the best form of his Bristol City career by far. We spoke about him a little bit last week, or it might have been a fortnight ago now. He's got the best assist per 90 in the championship of players that have played a minimum of eight appearances, which is really good numbers. For me, I love the physicality that goes with the... We know he's got skills. We know he can dribble past players. He's got raw pace to burn. But for me, I really like the third goal for Vimans. He's sort of battling and jostling with the defender for for the possession, and then he just sort of gives him a big shrug, uses his body, says, get off, get off me, get out the way, feeds Andy Vyman, and he smashes it into the back of the net. And we saw that last weekend as well at Fulham, where um, he just absolutely tore Tim Ream apart for to put uh, Bristol City 2-1 up at Craven College last weekend. And I'm liking the physicality, and Chris Martin back on the score sheet as well, two really nicely taken goals, particularly the first of those. And if they can keep Chris Martin scoring, that's a lovely front three with Vyman, Semenyo interchanging behind Chris Martin. And I feel like that could really work for, for Nigel Pearson. It could give them a platform to move forward with some of the young players as well. So Semenyo really enjoying what I'm seeing from him at the minute. The challenge for him is, can he go and get another five to eight goals between now and the end of the season? That would be really good. And that would really cement him as you know one of the more, more, most blossoming players in the championship. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I've just got his figures up in front of me now. And for Semenyo, it's seven direct goal contributions in the last six with um, four assists and three goals. So he certainly stepped it up in recent weeks. And he, he didn't play much at the start of the season. It must be said he was really out of the side and he's only really forced his way into the team since the beginning of December. And he's he's repaid Nigel Pearson's trust with his performances. Uh, Chris Martin as well. He's another one that I think has, has stepped up recently. And I still think he's a, a quality operator at this level, even though he's he's now at the age of 33. Um, terrific couple of goals, it must be said, on on Saturday. You've spoken about the first one, which is a lovely finish. I thought the second one was smart, really nice, tidy finish as well. And a player like Chris Martin knows the championship inside out and it's proven he's got over 100 goals at this level now. And for me, like you say, if he, if he can continue to do what he's doing for a little while longer and Nigel Pearson can build around the younger players, then I think it's a nice blend because they can learn from him. He will be able to benefit from their young, youthful energy and put himself in the right place at the right time. So Bristol City, for me, they've got some very promising individuals coming to the fore. Now, Andres Weiman, another goal for him as well at the weekend. He's 
So he's got some very, very surprising figures this season, which I think have probably gone under the radar to a lot of fans of other clubs. So there's been a good good selection of individuals showing to Bristol City this season. It's just been a case of finding the way to mould it all together, which unfortunately they've not been able to do often enough. But it's back-to-back home wins now for them. It's a 2-3-2 two, two wins in a row. So I think Nigel Pearson is going to be concerned about the defensive, the defensive issues, which is understandable, considering they've not kept one now since the 4th of December when they scraped past Derby. So that is a cause for concern, but they're not struggling at the minute to put the ball in the back of the net. That must be said, they've scored two goals in five of the last six. So that's a positive step in the right direction. So they can just get it right at the other end of the pitch. Things uh, are showing signs to improve, but like you say, Bristol City, they've got some good individual showings coming there. It's just a case of finding a way to mould it all together, but they'll be pleased with what happened at the weekend. Three goals, three points and the local bragging rights as well. The form at Ashley Gate's been a lot better as well since the end of that tumultuous run of, what, 18 games without a home win. Since then, it's been, yeah. uh, they've won more than they've lost, certainly. I don't know how the figures to hand, but they've done really well at Ashton Gate. three then. home wins in the last five off the top of my head. And when you go nearly, what, 18 months without one, yeah. certain, that's certainly, uh, certainly a much better return. Um, Cardiff, they'll be disappointed with some of the sloppy goals they gave away, but... I feel like they're doing. I feel like they're in games. They're not getting battered, but they've got to start getting some points on the board, as you say, because Hull are doing that and they're pulling themselves clear. So you're now looking at a battle between themselves and Reading to avoid getting sucked in with the current bottom three. Um, early game as well at um, the City Ground in the East Midlands Derby, Nottingham Forest two, Derby County one. This one had a little bit of everything. It didn't disappoint. It was your typical East Midlands Derby that we love and Forest with a better team, I felt, and they certainly stayed patient and wore Derby down. Lethal combo of Graben and Brennan Johnson, again, proving pivotal for them. and um, A little bit of fortune with the first goal, the way it deflects through to um, Lewis Graben. And that sort of opened Derby up a little bit, then had to go and come out the shell and try and get an equaliser. And that allowed Derby to uh, Forrest to go and get the second, of course. And I felt that that, that was key, just... I think I won't say they wanted it more, but I, f- I felt there was a real enthusiasm from Nottingham Forest after they got the first to go and get the second. And I really like that positive play, trying to be proactive rather than reactive. Could have tried to sit on the one goal lead, and I think you see that when you watch the replay for the second, the way Brennan Johnson burst past his marker in midfield to get on the end of that cross, um, and that front three of Keenan Davis, Lewis Graben, and, and Brennan Johnson producing the goods again after a good win at Millwall last weekend. How did Bryce Samba play on? That's my question. After getting booted in the head by Tom Lawrence, which obviously wasn't um, intentional, I don't think. But I've never seen a lump like that in my like, and it appeared instantly. Like the force he must have kicked him with. Should we not be having concussion subs for that? How can he be allowed to really play on with that? And he was a massive shit house as well, Samba throughout of it. I don't know if it he felt he had a score to settle, but the way he was uh, jeering Ravel Morrison as he went off after getting sent off for a, for a tackle that actually wasn't as bad as it looked in first instance, but it probably was still a red card. He, he just pops up. You're like, what's Bryce Samba doing there trying to jeer? He pushes Tom Lawrence into the net after the penalty goes in and then is holding his hands up in front of the referee saying, I'm not doing anything, and then puts um, then puts Abaselli in a headlock, I think it is. So <laughs> he had a very weird afternoon. I don't know. If the knock on the head had something to do with it, but he certainly played the role of um, of jester in this one, and then Whoa. and then it all kicked off at, at the end as well. And then Cafu comes flying in the unused substitute, puts Louis Sibley in a headlock. 
he was mental. He had a little bit of everything. Um, Forrest, <laughs> the better team, deserved the victory. Although Derby played all right in spells and Tom Lawrence probably should have scored at nil-nil after a lovely little interchange with Kazim Richards. And I think if Derby got the first goal, <laughs> they might well have won this game. But they didn't. Forrest got the first one and that really opened it up and, and saw them go on to win the match relatively comfortably. Yeah, where to start off the back of that one? I mean, yeah, Bryce Sambury completely lost it, provided great entertainment. <laughs> the, the best bit for me was when Ravel Morrison was obviously uh, arguing about going the way he was just walking around the pitch with his hands behind his back, just waiting and waiting. I thought, what is he doing here? But my God, like you say, we with the bang, bang on the head, who knows? But I mean, in the grand scheme of things on the pitch, in terms of the actual football itself, the Forest revelation under Steve Cooper rolls on, doesn't it? It just is showing no sign of slowing down. And I said it last week, I probably said it the week before and the week before that, but I expected him to have an impact there, but not in the the manner that it has occurred. And I genuinely think they've still got a very good chance of going up this season. I really do. I think they've I think it's almost the case for me that he's improved almost every player that he already had available to him. He sparked Lewis Grabbin's career back into life. Brennan Johnson has gone to a whole new level under him and the potential that that young man has is quite frightening, to be quite honest with you. I think he's a star for the future. My only regret is that he's not uh, not going to be a future England international. Obviously, the alliances with Wales, which is a great shame, but he has got a massive future ahead of him, whether it be at Forest or somewhere else, but it's going to be a career worth watching. But overall, I mean, the way Steve Cooper has transformed that side that was... At the point when he arrived, destined for League One, as mad as it sounds, you can't believe it looking back now, really, can you, to think that that team was rock bottom of the league after the first seven or eight games, whatever it was. So he deserves huge credit for what he's achieved so far, Steve Cooper. Local bragging rights assured this time as well. Another win. They're turning the heat up at home, that's got to be said. But it just one slight criticism that I have of Forrest one minor, minor criticism and everybody will turn around and say, well, games aren't won at that stage. They've not scored a first half goal now since the 20th of November. But they do tend Every- to still go in front, don't they? They do. That's the weird thing. They always tend to go in front but they haven't scored in the first half since November the 20th, which is quite, not alarming, but it's quite interesting, I would would suggest. But at the end of the day, games are, games are won after 90 minutes, not 45, so it's not done them too much damage. But the fact that he's only lost three games since he went in there, Steve Cooper, and the, one of those was to a, a, a rampant Fulham side, to a Chris Wilder, Middlesbrough on the up. Huddersfield, who did a very good job on them, it must be said, even though that night Forrest could have easily taken something from the game and everything but the finishing touch. But, <coughs> excuse me, overall, what a job Steve Cooper has done. It's absolutely mesmerising. and They're four points, I think, off the playoffs now, sat in eighth place at this moment in time. Gap could go to five if Middlesbrough win on, on Monday evening at Blackburn as we record on Sunday afternoon. But huge credit to him. But like you say, the game itself, that game, I watched it as much as I could. I was working at the time, but I've tried to keep as close an eye on it as possible. And if Tom Lawrence had scored that early chance for Derby, which looked destined to just to ripple the net, that game could have panned out differently because Derby did start the better of the two teams, it must be said. Derby were on top in the first half of the first half and then Forrest turned the screw and obviously got an early goal in the second to calm the nerves and ensure they got the uh, the pattern in their corner, so to speak. So, fair play to them. The revelation continues. I still fancy them to finish in the top six. 
And when you think about it, though themselves in Middlesbrough, the transformations they've had on different managers this season since the start of the campaign has been unbelievable. And as a neutral, this playoff race for me is going to go right down to the wire and I can't wait. It's going to be great. Yeah, you uh, you messaged me earlier to say Forrester 21, uh, 20 to 1 to get promoted this season, which is absolutely baffling. I've just had a quick look while you were speaking there. The 5 to 1 just to finish in the top six, which I think is really good. I've might put a bit of money behind that, to be honest, because I think that's that's even better odds, to be honest, because I think they can finish in the top six. I'll tell you this now. Top three managers in the championship are Chris Wilder, Steve Cooper and Mark Wolverton, in my opinion. I don't think I don't think you can argue with that. Fulham fans might argue that Marco Silva should be there, but with the quality he's got at his disposal, I don't think it's any, any comparison to what those three chaps have done so far. And obviously, Wilder's record speaks for itself. Steve Cooper worked wonders at Swansea. So yeah, I would, I would, I would genuinely back that three as an argument. No, that one. Yep. West Brom three, Peterborough nil. This one was a weird game because the atmosphere was starting to get pretty toxic at the Hawthorns, um, given that West Brom were creating chances but not scoring. The game finished with xG of three point nine one versus zero point zero eight um, in West Brom's favour. So when you look at that number. And you look at the scoreline, you would think, oh, this was a comfortable home win. And it turned out that way. But things certainly didn't work out like that. And, and things were starting to turn a little bit at the Hawthorns before a very fortunate first goal where the ball you know, slams off the shins of Kipri and goes in. Um, lovely through ball from Matias Pereira, according to Quest, um, for Carl and Grant <laughs> to make it two. Honestly, what, what is going on with that? Uh, I didn't even notice that until you tweeted it. So it shows how much attention I was paying to it last night. I mean, I, I know that commentary is a hard job, <laughs> don't get me wrong. But when you are lying. recording... No, exactly. When you're recording over footage, there is no excuse for naming a player that left seven months ago. It happened last week. There was one where it was Forrest last week and they called Joe Worrell Sean Hutchinson, who's Millwall's number four, instead of Forrest's <laughs> number four. It... I like Colin Murray. I like the not the top 20 lads that go on there. Joby McEnough's decent. They've got to sort the commentators out. Paul Walker's excellent. I'll say that. And he obviously is recording live usually. But the people that do the pre-recorded commentary, it's not good enough, if I'm being honest. It's, it lets the standard of the show down. Um, but yeah, great ball from Pereira to find uh, Carlin Grant. It was actually uh, Callum Robinson who's, who's been robbed. He actually posted on his Instagram story about it, Callum Robinson, uh, complaining. Uh, to make it 2-0, and then Dean Garner, good for, to see him back in the goals. He's been a weird one. I don't know why he's not been really good this season. I don't, he was so good in the Championship last year. He had a really good start when they signed him permanently um, last season in the Premier League, and then in sort of the last 18 months, his form's just fallen off a cliff, or the last year probably is a fairer example. But they weren't taking the chances before that period. Daryl DK went off injured. He needs a scan, but it's probably likely he's going to miss at least the next couple of games, which is a concern. But they got they got the victory, and that's what matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we were critical, weren't we, of West Brom last week, saying that the goals had dried up, the performances hadn't been there. And up until late on, it looked as though it was going to be a tale of the same happening again. But with all due respect, when you're up against a Peter Rissai that leaks goals like they do, you've always got a chance. And, and West Brom just stepped it up a little bit in the last quarter of an hour and, and ultimately got the job done with, with ease in the end. But... I think it's important that West Brom don't get too carried away after this. They've got to build on it, no doubt about that, but they cannot afford to get carried away. With respect, you would expect West Brom to beat Peterborough at home comfortably. You would have expected that. But it does remain, of course, one win in five games. 
only scored four in that time and obviously three were in in a 15-minute burst. So they can't afford to get too carried away, but they've got to build on it. With Bournemouth beginning to stutter a little bit, West Brom will think that they've got a chance of clawing them back. But with the way Blackburn and QPR now imposing themselves, Huddersfield are hot on their heels, Middlesbrough are coming up, Forest are coming up. It's far from job done for West Brom in terms of securing a playoff place. There's no doubt about that. So they're kind of in the middle of West Brom where they could still finish top two if they put their minds to it and play at the very, very best. Or they could end up sliding out the playoffs because I think in certainly in recent weeks, there's been a damn sight better set of teams than them behind them. And that's the thing with Valerie Ismail. He's he started so well, things have tailed off and it's just been a lack of goals that's been the major concern because they've not exactly been conceding many. It's just an inability to put the ball in the net, which is quite surprising for the, the crop of attacking players that they've got. So they've got to build on this win now. But as I say, I don't think they can afford to get too carried away. Yeah, the, the defensive record, particularly at home, is is pretty admirable, if I'm honest. Um, they've only conceded six at home all season. They've only conceded... Uh, where's West Brom? They've only conceded 20 goals all season, full stop, which is a really good record, but only six at home in particular. And um, they were knocking on the door. They were the dominant team. You know, nearly four expected goals throughout the game against a very poor Peterborough side. But when you don't break a team like Peterborough down until the 78th minute, fans are going to get a little bit restless. So that's that's the uh, the challenge that Ballerina Ismail still got to overcome at the Hawthorns. Birmingham City 2, Barnsley 1. Um, I'm more interested about the off-the-field uh, at Birmingham, to be honest, than this game, if, I, if I'm really honest. Frustrating week for them. They stepped up their protests against the current owners. Um, large protests during the game and then afterwards as well. It's clear that Birmingham fans just want more visibility and more clarity from their owners. It's not about money being spent. It's about knowing who owns the club, um, responsibility for the failings that have gone on at times. And of course, the stories that, that came out after the, the 6-2 defeat at Fulham that Lee Bowyer's job was potentially under threat, which no Birmingham fan wants. They don't want him to leave. I don't think either of us would think that's a smart move either from a club that's had too much turmoil. Lee Bowyer, I'm not saying he's the finished article or the perfect manager of the championship, but I don't think they can do much better. And I think he understands the club. Um, and I think he's stopping it unravelling. I think Birmingham's still got the potential to unravel. But on the pitch, it was a good win. And, you know, so a very nice goal from Onel Hernandez, his first for the club. Um, horrific goalkeeping from Brad Collins for the second, which Scott Hogan gleefully tapped in. But Barnsley started all right, I thought, actually. Um, but if they don't get that first goal, and once they go behind, you've got no confidence they're ever going to come back and get anything from the game. They don't just don't look like capable of winning a game of football. And that's really sad to say for a team that finished fifth last year. It's quite bizarre, really. I don't think we've seen such a free fall from a team. I genuinely think there's probably more chance of Derby getting promoted than Barnsley staying up at the minute. <laughs> but no, I can see where you're coming from. I really can. I mean, it's just been a torrid, torrid run for Barnsley, hasn't it, this season? Two wins in 25 games. It's it's just not good enough. It's as simple as that. It's not good enough. They're losing game after game after game. And the, the more annoying thing is, from a Barnsley perspective, the games they're actually losing, they're only losing by narrow margins. They're not even getting smashed in the games they're losing, which is quite quite strange for a side that is just losing game after game and has put two wins on the board all season long. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I generally think there is no way back for Barnsley now. The gap is eight points. Things can very quickly change this league, but I'm seeing no signs to suggest that they can get out of it. When, you, when you've won one game, 
since I think it was August, wasn't it? Yeah, the second game of the season. They've won one game since the 14th of August in the league. It's it's quite simply diabolical. It's there's no other word for it. It's it's horrendous. So for me, I think Barnsley are gone. There's no doubt about that now. Even though they've got a lot of football still to be played over 20 games, for Birmingham, even though they're not quite as uh, in danger as many would think with the run they've been on, they needed that win at the weekend. They really did just to lift the mood. Obviously, things off the pitch are not going great at the minute, but on them as well, they needed a win. They'd, they'd gone six games without a victory. So they desperately needed that, especially after a bit of a thumping in midweek at Fulham. But like you say, Lee Bowyer, there was talk of him being being sacked after that defeat. It would have been ridiculous to sack him because Lee Bowyer, obviously, we know is has done reasonably well in his, in his quite short managerial career so far. He did a good job at Charlton. He's done a decent job at Birmingham in the circumstances. And say they were to sack him, they bring someone else in. It's just going to be the same constraints that they're working under again. So there's, there's no point in doing it. The fans are fighting back. They've had enough. Who can blame them? Things are not going well there. But on the pitch, it's a victory that they desperately needed. And they've got to now build on that moving forward and try and string some form together because their form has been so, so streaky at times this season. I think the longest winning run they've put together is three games. So they've got to try and get to similar levels again, try and put some points on the board in threes and just move themselves away from danger, even though I think I think they will be fine this season. But it will be nice just to get to a stage where they can turn around and say, look, we, we haven't got to worry about that over his shoulders with a few games to go. Yep, Sheffield United 2, Luton 0. Um, good, good weekend for Rian Brewster, I think. He certainly came in for a bit of criticism in midweek. They were 2-0 up Sheffield United, of course, against 10 men Preston North End. And at 2-0, Bruce had a really good guilt edge chance and he spurned it wide. Of course, he's not particularly culpable for the for the collapse that then followed. But that was a big moment and it just feels like he should be one of the best strikers in this division and we're not seeing that from him. Really like the goal at the weekend, though, and... He does offer things other than goal scoring, but I like the scrappy goal. It was a goal that I, you would expect Billy Sharp to sort of score, lurking in around the six-yard box, and there he was to finish it off. And we need to see more goals like that from him. Um, I feel like all his goals have been a bit spectacular for Sheffield United. He needs to be, as well as offering more all-round play, which we saw with the red card, you know, his, his pacing behind, stretching defences, which Reese Burke then had to bring him down for a, a definite red card. We want to see that penalty box striker as well. Because for the money Sheffield United paid and for the quality we saw at Swansea, we know he can do it. So I think more glimpses of that. Staying fit as well. He's had a hamstring injury recently. is really important for him. Um, and obviously Jack Robinson as well with the header to seal the win. No complaints about the respect red card, as I say. And it was an important one for Sheffield United because after starting so well under Heckingbottom, they then had an enforced break through no fault of their own where they missed four games due to COVID, despite them having no COVID outbreak. Um, and then they threw away points against Derby and against Preston in midweek, particularly Preston, that was the big concern. So it was important for them to get the breakthrough in the second half and get the three points at Bramall Lane. Yeah, absolutely. It will have been playing on United's players' minds, I'm sure, over the last few days after the, the late collapse at Preston to have gone out there and made amends after obviously so long as well without a home game. I think it was something like their first home game in over 55 days or something. So it was a long wait to get back out at Bramall Lane and it was three points secured and the three points well-deserved. So it was a solid win for Sheffield United and one that they needed just to just to get back into the swing of things after that minor setback and the defeat at Derby as well. But I just wanted to touch on Rian Brewster and obviously with the amount of games that Sheffield United have had called off, 
and there's a few games that Brewster missed due to a minor niggly injury. He's actually scored three in his last six now, which is quite interesting. That dates back all the way to the 6th of November, the 3-1 defeat at Blackburn, which proves how many games United have missed and Brewster's not featured in. So to have scored three and six is quite a healthy return. But I do think there is a lot more to come for him. Like you say, he showed a different side to his game at the weekend by being in the right place at the right time and obviously stretched the pitch with his pacing behind as well. And that's what we know he's capable of. We saw it at Swansea. He was terrific there a couple of seasons ago in that loan spell. And I do think he's a player that has got enormous amounts of potential at this level. I mean, in a way, it kind of reminds me in a in a similar way to Dominic Solanke in the sense that there's a he's come from a big club. There's a lot expected of him and dropping down into this league should help give him the confidence and the, the physicality he needs to then make the step up into the Premier League, which I still think Solanke will do in years to come and make himself as a seasoned player at that level. And I think Bruce has got the same in his locker. So I'm excited to see what he can do over the over the coming weeks and months between now and the end of the season. He needs to run in the team from the start of matches. He needs to get the chance to be the main man up front for United. So if they can get him, get him firing, I don't see there's any reason why he can't enjoy a successful second half of the campaign because the Blades obviously have got a but a fair few games left with the amount of games that they've had called off. So, for me, no reason why he can't uh, lay down a marker between now and May. And for Paul Heckin, bottom overall, yeah, it'd been a, been a few little mishaps here and there. But I think overall, I think he can be pretty pleased with the start he's made. Yeah, definitely. I think the difference with Solanke and Brewster is perhaps that we saw what Brewster is capable of. So, there's a bit more pressure on him because we saw what he can do, particularly at championship level with Swansea. Whereas, and Sheffield United were investing in that ultimately. Whereas with uh, with Solanke, Bournemouth were taking a bit of a punt. They were they were they knew his potential rather than what he was capable of. He didn't have as much of a proven record as Brewster perhaps did. So I think that's the slight difference there. A bit more pressure perhaps on Rian Brewster to produce the goods as the club's record signing. Or is Sander Bird? No, in fact, Sander Burge is now is still the record signing. But certainly one of the biggest fees they've ever paid in the club history in eighteen and a half million quid for. Um, such a young player. 2-1-0 no wins to finish us off now. We're going to start with Swansea 1 at Preston North End 0. A bit of a dull game, to be honest. Not a lot to separate the two teams, except a really, really good goal from Ryan Manning, which which gave a really big win for Russell Martin. Swans, their first in five in all competitions. The goals for Joel Peru have dried up a little bit, and therefore, significantly, it's important that other players are stepping up. I feel like the off-the-pitch speculation this, this month is, is I think they're probably weaker than they were at the start of the month. They've, of course, lost Ethan Laird. Jamie Patterson's in a bit of a contract wrangle with them at the moment with the fact that he had his deal extended to the end of the season, but he wanted a a better contract in terms of he felt that with the, the contribution he'd made on the pitch, he deserved a better wage. Swansea had a loophole in his short-term contract to say they could extend it to the end of the season without being able to, you know, having to renegotiate the terms. And it looks like they might have to sell him because he's not playing at the minute. His head's not in the right space to play. He's missed the last two games and he's a really important player for them. They missed out on Matt O'Reilly as well, who's ended up going to Celtic from MK Dons. They have brought Andrew Fisher in in goal and they've lost Ethan Laird, of course. So I feel like Swansea almost, the, the, the matches have taken a back seat this month while they've been dealing with the transfer window. And perhaps maybe that's taken some distraction from the on-field games. Uh, but a good win at the weekend and one they needed. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a game really like you say that they needed to win and get three points on the board just to ease a little bit of pressure around the place. And I mean to get it against the Preston side that have had a really good start under Ryan Lowe is is a really good testament to that. Like you say, Swansea they've 
for me, like you say, they are in a position now where they are weaker than they were 23 days ago. And that is that is going to be a concern to the fans. They're going to be a little bit worried because Swansea have been a, been a side that have been renowned for having really good individual players in the last few seasons. We saw, for example, the squad was pulled apart, wasn't it, last summer with the departures, say, of Gwei, who was on loan. Uh, Andre Ayu left, Conor Hurahan went. Um, Steve Cooper as well, the manager. Woodman. So they've not had much luck in that sense. Freddie Woodman, of course. They've had so many good loanees and, and obviously permanent signs in Ayu. So they've not had much luck in that sense. But on the pitch yesterday, it was a win that I thought they deserved. I thought they looked the better of the two teams. Fantastic goal from Ryan Manning. Superb strike, worthy of winning any game at any level. So that's got to give Russell Martin some renewed confidence. But it was always going to take time for Russell Martin to implement his style of play. It was never going to be a quick fix. I think it's a very similar situation to where Huddersfield were at when Carlos Corbran first went in, where you knew time was going to be important. It's going to take time and you've got to be patient. And yeah, at the minute, considering they, they finished up in the playoff final last season, to be 17th at this stage is, is disappointing. But they've got a few games in hand on the teams above them. If they win those, they can soon start climbing the ladder. Playoffs, for me, too far of a stretch, 13 points. It's no not, not mathematically impossible, but no it's, it's very, very, very unlikely. But I don't think they're going to be in any danger over the other side of their shoulder. So they're just going to have to settle, I think, for mid-table consolidation this season and just try and improve best they can between now and the end of the season. But for me, I think the summer is going to be one of the biggest that Swansea have faced in recent years. Yeah, I can't see anything above mid-table. I don't Not top half even. I think somewhere between 13th and 17th is probably where Swansea are going to be. And given the, the turmoil and, and you know turbulence that has gone on in South Wales for the last six months or so, I, I think that probably wouldn't be a, a horrendous finish for Swansea. Blackpool 1, Millwall nil to finish us off. Um, if a lot of people missing for Millwall, it's worth noting, first of all, with uh, Tom Bradshaw, Ojo, uh, Jed Wallace missing. But Blackpool, you know, we've seen too many results like this from Millwall. They just lose to bad... to. to you know, mid-table teams, and they can never be considered really in the top six ch- as a top six challenger until they stop losing at Hull, losing at Blackpool, games like that. And Blackpool are a great side, don't get me wrong, really like Blackpool. But you know, teams that want to finish in the top six don't always lose these games. They've got to at least get points here and there. And you always feel like Millwall are, are susceptible to losing away from home against teams that aren't going to probably finish in the top half of the table, and that's the big problem for them. Good to see Blackpool grind out another 1-0 win. They're really good at that. Defensive record's been so good this season, particularly at Bloomfield Road. Um, they're 10th in terms of home form this season. Only conceded 15 goals in those 15 games. And they've been excellent. Shane Lavery back in the goals as well. thought it was a really good finish, to be fair, to put it in the back of the net from the on the swivel from the angle he was at. And again, another result that Neil Critchley will happily take and another three points towards their championship safety, which obviously is looking incredibly, incredibly likely um, to, to come out. Yeah, you've took the words directly out of my mouth. It is three points closer towards the target, isn't it? And when you consider that they are, at this stage of the season, level on points with Sheffield United, who were in the Premier League last season, Blackpool and League One, it it pays credit to what a job Neil Critchley's done. And like you say, they have a way of getting these narrow 1-0 wins, getting the job done. And they did exactly that again on Saturday against Millwall. And like you say, it's just it keeps that good run of momentum going at home. It's three home wins now in the last four at home. It's three wins in five in the league overall. So they're in a good vein of form at the minute. They've obviously had to wait three weeks between league matches due to postponements and other 
other issues that we've had to deal with up and down the here down the league. So they've had to wait for it, but they've shown that they are capable of stringing results together. Their form has been decent in recent weeks, and I mean now Blackpool for me are as, they're as good as safe. They're not going to go down. This team's far, far, far worse than them, and I think considering the long road back they've had to the championship, I think they can be immensely proud of what they've achieved even though there's still a long way to go. So hats off to them. Hats off to Neil Critchley. Another one, I think, in the circumstance of what he's done that could be could be considered as manager of the season potential. Yeah, wouldn't disagree with that. He's been excellent for the Tangerines and the Seasiders, um, comfortably in mid-table now. And that rounds off this weekend's championship action. We're going to finish this week's pod with our shocks and bankers to round off the podcast. George, what have you got for the upcoming weekend? Well, I'm going to kick us off with a, a banker this weekend. I'm going to go for two sides in very contrasting runs of form. I'm going to go for QPR to beat Reading at home. Can't see anything other than a win for Mark Warburton's side, and that would be really surprised if we did see anything else from that with the way they're going at the minute. In terms of a shock this weekend, I think there was a few potentially to pick out, but I'm going to go... I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to go for Cardiff to beat Nottingham Forest. That is brave. But I'm going to go bold this weekend. Cardiff will be gunning for Steve Cooper with his Swansea connections. You never know. I'm going to go for Cardiff to beat Forest as a shock. Interesting. I've also followed suit with my banker. I've got QPR to beat Reading at home. Mark Walton's side chasing a fourth win in a row. Reading just trying not to concede another four goals. Um, <laughs> and then with my shock, it's not very bold, if I'm honest. I'm going for Hull to beat Swansea at home. If you're going to let me have it, even I have to admit that's sort of borderline whether that would be a shock. Uh, uh, I mean, what's the difference? There's only two points in it. Yeah, it's probably not. Would it really be a shock? No, fair enough. Let me have a another <laughs> look. No, even I, even I have to admit that's uh, that's pushing my luck a little bit too much. That's poor from you. Yeah, where's we go? Right, what else we got? Let's have a look. Um, uh, Barnsley to beat, but no, that is a joke. Um. <laughs> Um, I could see Millwall beating West Brom. I could see Luton potentially beating Blackburn, depending how their game goes tomorrow against Middlesbrough. I want to go for Luton to beat Blackburn at home. I think for my shock, um, I think that obviously if Blackburn beat Middlesbrough tomorrow, then that might not happen, and it's hard to say. But based on the defeat in midweek and the draw against Huddersfield a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe Luton, we've seen they can hand out bloody noses at Kenilworth Road. So I'm going to go for QPR to beat Reading as my banker and my shock will be Luton to beat Blackburn Rovers at home. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to help us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy our weekly breakdowns, please do drop us a retweet when the episodes go live every Monday. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.